I agree. Please turn to Luke 10. Luke 10. I'll be reading from verses 30 to 35. <clears throat> Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Good morning, everybody. So good to be back from vacation. Um, people have asked me, what'd you do? And the answer to that is, not a lot. Uh, it was perfect. Um, but go ahead and open up your Bibles if you haven't so far. We'll be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. Uh, Peyton got us started down this summer road trip and did a fantastic job on these first two, at least, at least the first one. I didn't hear the second one yet. I got to go back and listen to it. Um, but, you know, this is something that we wanted to look into. I just got back from my road trip uh, on vacation. We went all the way to Orlando. That's, that's just as far as the gas would take us. Um, but when Jesus tells this well-known story of the Good Samaritan, he does so by placing it on a road, the Jericho Road. And it actually says there, as Mike just read, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now Jericho, you may not know this, Jericho is the oldest continual inhabited city in the world. And the reason is because it's an oasis out in these desert-like conditions. Because in that city there is an ancient well that allowed for such things. In the time of Jesus, there was like major construction going on with all of these villas, agriculture of date palms and wines and spices and perfumes, the wealthy and, and the rulers had winter homes in these places. I mean, this was the absolute happening place, but the Jericho Road was different. <laughs> to get there from Jerusalem, it was a very dry arid, hot land, kind of the way Florida feels today. And you can see the terrain is very dangerous. Uh, it's, it's also an easy place for robbers to hide out along that road. And here Jesus tells this parable about a man, and he's traveling on this road. And he is beaten up within an inch of his life. They take his money, they, they uh, strip him, they leave him for dead, they're out in these exposed desert-like conditions. But we learn that a priest comes along, right? Now a priest is a guy who worked in the temple. He, he offered up sacrifices for the people. Surely when he comes upon one of the chosen people of God, he, he's going to help him, but it says that he passed by on the other side, right? 
Then there's a Levite. Now, a Levite was someone who assisted with these temple responsibilities. And, and again, he's coming up on, you know, one of the seed of Abraham. I mean, is he going to stop? And, and we know, we've heard this story for years. No, he, he passed by on the other side. And so maybe we're, we're giving these two guys a really hard time, you know? I mean, we don't know what, they're, what, what they were doing. Uh, you know, the priests may be going to Jerusalem to uh, offer up sacrifices, important sacrifices for the people. Maybe he's going to dedicate a synagogue somewhere, you know, or, or the Levite. I, I mean, if this guy is here and he's dead, he may think he's dead. Maybe he think he's about to die. If he touches him, then according to the law, he would be ritually impure. I mean, what good would he be in that situation? However, the, this is when it's always good to understand geography and the Bible, and the Bible tells us that the priest, and also it would indicate to the Levite as well, it says they were going down the road. And the reason that's important is because if you go from Jerusalem, you're going to go down to Jericho. It descends a little over half a mile. In other words, they're not, they don't have responsibilities in Jerusalem. They're done with those things. They have no excuse. And the readers would have understood this. But then along comes this Samaritan. Now let's talk about Samaritans for just a second because it's a very important part to this story. Because these Samaritans were at first Israelites who were part of the northern kingdom. You remember when we study about this in the Old Testament? And, but we know there was a Syrian captivity, and they cart off most of them, but there was a small remnant of them that they leave into the land, but the Assyrians go, and they are conquering other nations, and they will take their captives, and they transport them into this area of Samaria. And what happens is these Jews started marrying non-Jews, and these babies and these families that came from it is what the Jews considered as an impure breed. And so by Jesus' day, they didn't allow them in the temple. They did not have anything to do with them. When they would go on trips, they, many of them would totally bypass those lands because they felt like it would make them impure just to walk through Samaritan lands. I want you to kind of feel the tension of what's happening because Jesus has a surprise in his story. Because of the three, it says it's the Samaritan as he journeyed. He came to where this man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He grabs his bag, he treats his wounds, he puts him up on his own donkey. He, he's going to carry him to an end to be taken care of. And, and understand this, that if this Jewish man who's laying here half dead, if he had been in a better condition, he would never have allowed a Samaritan to put his hands on him. But he doesn't really have a choice. But this man takes him to an inn, and according to what he pays there, and according to how much it costs for uh, innkeeping and so forth, he, he paid for enough for two months' worth of stay at this inn. And he even tells him, listen, I'll be back. If there's any more expenses, he said, I'll come and pay those as well. And if you're a Jew in that crowd and you're listening to this parable by Jesus, this is a humiliating story. The parable of the Good, of the good Samaritan, it's actually an answer to a question. Now, I had Mike Lammy read just a second ago just the parable. But let's look at what, what brought this parable on. 
So if you're in Luke chapter 10, we'll start in verse 25. And he says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will be fine. And you will live, rather. But he, desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So this parable comes about because of a question that has been asked by a lawyer. Now this is not a court lawyer as you might think of, we think of them today. This was a religious expert on the law of Moses. That's what it meant in that day and time. And he wants to know what Jesus thinks about how one inherits eternal life. And isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't give a theological statement. He doesn't say, now this is what you need to do theologically. This is what you're to believe and all these kinds of things. He tells him, them a parable about a relationship and about loving other people. It's interesting. Jesus answers this man's question the way Jesus typically does, by asking him questions. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And so he says, look, you're the, you're the religious expert in the law, so you tell me, what do you think as to how one has eternal life? And what does he do? He quotes two Old Testament passages from Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And by the way, they're the exact same answer that Jesus gave when he was asked about what is the greatest law. Remember this? Remember that story? And so Jesus says, you're answered correctly. Wow, this guy's good. But then he says, well, let me clarify. Or maybe you can clarify, Jesus. Who is my neighbor? And you notice there he says he wants to justify himself. You know why? Because some neighbors are easy to love. <laughs> and then some neighbors, well, maybe not so much. I mean, what about people that are out here that have different beliefs, different morals? What about those of different religion? I mean, we're studying on Sunday mornings after, after we have worship here. We're, we're gonna, this morning we're going to learn about a different religion. We've been doing this on Sunday mornings because, you know, it's, it's good to know what other people believe. But and so what about those people? What about, what about loving people who are just mean? You ever, ever been around mean people? What about people who, you know, they, uh, they've just got a bad past? And so this man is hoping that Jesus is going to justify his biases. And if we're honest with ourselves, we probably have some of those ourselves. And we just kind of hope that maybe Jesus is going to narrow this down and that there's some people we just have to admit we don't we can't love them that's not what Jesus does now it may surprise you you've heard this story your whole life and you may not realize Jesus is is alluding to an Old Testament story it goes all the way back to 2nd Chronicles chapter 28 Samaria had invaded Judah 
and they take in these captives. And God sends a prophet to, to Samaria to ask them to be merciful to their captives because God is angry with Judah, but be merciful to them. And what it tells us is that these people in Samaria, they took the spoils of their war and they used it to buy these people, their captives, clothing and food and drink. They took their feeble folks and they bought them donkeys to put on to, so they could go back home. But what Jesus is doing here is he's taking this and he's using a contrast. And he's contrasting those who know the law and those who actually follow it by their conduct. And so what does he ask this man in the story? After he tells the, the story of the Good Samaritan, he then asks the lawyer, well, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor among the man who fell among the robber? And I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but he can't even bring himself to say, well, the Samaritan guy. He just says, the one who was merciful. And it must have really... <laughs> upset him when, when he, Jesus then replies, now you go and be like this Samaritan. Folks, we're called to love other people regardless of their race, regardless of their religion, regardless of the areas that we disagree with them in various ways. It's based, love is based upon need. Martin Luther King, in speaking about the Good Samaritan, he says, I imagine that the first question that the priest and Levi asked was, if I stop to help this man, what will happen to me? But by the very nature of his concern, the Good Samaritan reversed the question. If I do not stop to help this man, what will happen to him? He saw this man brutally beaten and he has compassion. And it was out of that compassion that he moved to action. And what would happen, you think, in, in our day and time? Somebody's brutally beaten, they're over here on the side of the road. I mean, there'll be a crowd together, and they're going to be posting pictures on social media. And they're going to be saying, you know, we want to find out who did this to this guy. We want to get them fired. We want to get them arrested. We want to humiliate them where they can never come out of their house again. But how many of those would actually have taken this bloodied man and put them in their nice clean cars and driven them to the hospital and then paid for their hospital bill? You see, we got a lot of social warriors out in our world. What we don't have a lot of are good Samaritans. And by the way, if that crowd finds out that the guy who's, who's bloodied and beaten and almost dead is someone that they disagree with, whether it be politically or whether it be, you know, in religiously or in various thoughts or whatever, then they would then pile on and say, well, he had it coming to him. I'm glad that happened to him. I hope he dies. And we say, that's terrible. But are we much better? You see, we're supposed to feel the tension of what Jesus is talking about here in this text. What if that person lying in the ditch is, 
is the person who had insulted your wife or threatened your children? What if it's someone who had given a racial slur towards you and your family? What if it literally is a neighbor who turned you into the neighborhood association? What if it's that person who got you fired from your job? Jesus' parable, we are to fill the tension with our own biases. Whether those biases may be good or bad, we're supposed to fill the tension. And we're supposed to feel as the lawyer felt when Jesus said, now you go and be like the Samaritan. Can you imagine Jesus ending this story or something in this life and, and we end it and say, listen, now you Christians, you need to go and you need to be like that Republican or like that Democrat, or like that communist. You go out and you be like the way that transvestite acted, or the way that Muslim treated them. You go and be like them. Jesus is answering the lawyer's question of how can one have eternal life? And Jesus' answer is you go and you be like this guy that you've disagreed with, that you've hated, that he's hated you because he's the one who's actually keeping God's law and not just talking about it. Back in November, there was a soccer team of French Muslims. And they spent the night at a Catholic cathedral surrounding the place after they had heard about the deadly attack on Notre Dame Basilica in Nice. They were there to protect them. There was a picture taken in the paper of this congregation and this group of Muslims and the church took that picture and they hung it in their cathedral. And I think Jesus would see that story and say, go be like those Muslims. In October of 2019, something interesting happened. We, we know about the Palestinians and the Israelis. Y'all do know there's a conflict there, right? This is not a new conflict. This has been going on for decades. But back in 2019, in October, there was a group of Israeli volunteers, and they helped these Palestinian families to be able to come and go to the beach. Now, these Palestinians only live an hour away from the sea, but they've never been able to see the ocean because they can't get past the Israeli, the Israeli checkpoint in order to go into this place without a permit. And I think Jesus would look at that and say, look, go and be like these Israelis. Some of you remember the Los Angeles riots in 1992. Everything about that was awful. What led to it, the, the riots themselves, there was one particular mob and they came up on this this man and they he was a construction worker and they took him out of his vehicle and they busted open his forehead with a car stereo they they stole two thousand dollars of cash they stripped him naked they spray painted parts of his body but there was this minister a black minister by the name of Benny Newton and he threw himself over Lopez's body and he waved his Bible and he says, if you kill him, you're going to have to kill me too. And as the crowd dispersed, 
this preacher, Vinny, would continue to pray over this man that he would gain consciousness. And when he realized that he, there's no way of getting an ambulance in here to save this man's life, he takes his bloody, beaten man and puts him in his own vehicle and takes him to the hospital. And I think Jesus would say, you go and be like Vinny. The Good Samaritan is not someone who, is someone who goes out and does a kind act. You see, we've taken the story of the Good Samaritan to mean all kinds of things, and it's really not. You know, you, you've often heard, you know, somebody lost their billfold, and, and there was a stranger who turned it in, and they'll say, you know, that was a Good Samaritan turned this thing in. No, 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 that's not the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, it's good. It's, I mean, especially in this day and time, you say, man, that's a good thing, but that's not what this is about. It's not about doing nice things for strangers. The purpose of Jesus' parable really is not even to inspire the lawyer as much as it is to put him in front of a mirror so he could see himself. What he's saying to him is this. Gaze into this mirror and realize you are not the good Samaritan. You're not as good as you think you are. And that's why it's important for us to find ourselves in that tension because we need our own mirrors that we can stand before and feel that tension. But if we're honest with ourselves, we don't like gazing in front of the mirror at ourselves. Listen, just give me another Bible class to go to. Let me download some Christian songs. Let me just volunteer to do some things around the church. That would be great. But just don't make me gaze into the mirror. The gospel doesn't allow us to be the hero in the story. You do know that, right? We are the damsel in distress that Jesus came to rescue. The religious experts, they didn't like that. And many of us, if we're honest, we don't like that either. Because we like to see ourselves as the holy heroes who are out here to save all you sinners. We like to be the one to show our merit badges but the problem is we can't always keep the law because we're human. Oh, we can grow. We can do better. God's spirit is with us. But let me tell you something. When we are left to our own, our selfishness comes out and we think the wrong thing and we do the wrong things and we fail to meet the law. It's the same mirror that Jesus used on the rich young ruler. If you were to read about him later on in chapter 18. And what did he come asking Jesus? How do I have eternal life? Remember that? It's the same question. And he felt like he was good, and he allowed this man to feel like he was good because, hey, I keep been keeping the commandments. You see, both of these men felt like that following rules was the ultimate requirement, and so that's why Jesus tells both of these men what they needed to hear instead of what they wanted to do. The point is that following Jesus down the narrow road is not popular. It's not the way that most people are going to go. The broad road looks at the man who's lying on the side of the road and knowing who he is and saying, you know what, if this were reversed, he wouldn't help me. And if that's what the Samaritan would have thought, he probably would have been right. But the gospel is not based on what everybody else would do. 
The gospel is based upon a narrow road that most people are unwilling to travel because it's difficult and it's hard. But it's also paved with compassion. We live in a world that is filled with wide lane roads, don't we? I mean, if you believe that most people who disagree with you, that they're going to be there for you when you're broken and you're down, <laughs> you're probably going to be wrong. A story about a Christian or churches in the news, I mean, it's like, it's like blood and shark-infested waters, isn't it? You see, that, the world doesn't just pass by on the other side to us. They actually walk over to us and stomp on us a little bit more. That's what they're willing to do. But Jesus says, it's those very people who would do that to you. That when they find themselves bloodied and beaten and left for dead by the world, that we're to be there for them. You see, there's only two ways to God. The priest and the Levite, and really the lawyer, demonstrated the broad way. which even bypasses, if you notice this, even bypasses the hurting of their own people. But the Samaritan shows this narrow road of love, one that Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. You remember this? He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you only greet, greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. See, love is the focus of Jesus' teachings. It speaks of a principle that is absolutely needed in our culture right now, which is we may disagree with one another, but we are to love them, and we can love them. That we can look at people who hate us, whether it be because of race, or whether it be because of our religion, or whether it be because of whatever reason it may be, politics, and we can know that I can have compassion on those people, and I know it because Jesus paved the way of the narrow road, and he did it with his words, and he did it with his actions. It was Jesus who offered living water to a Samaritan woman at a well, it was Jesus who ate with the dregs of society of the day, the tax collectors and the sinners. It was Jesus who healed the daughter of a Seraphonician who were bitter enemies of the Jews, and it was Jesus who died on the cross for all of humanity. But if you know the story of Jesus' suffering, you know that it didn't end on the cross. It ended in resurrection and exaltation. 
and the narrow road that God calls us to be on, it is difficult and it's hard, but it doesn't end there. It ends in resurrection and exaltation. The kingdom of God. The story of the Good Samaritan should be a picture of the church. We should be that Samaritan inn, you know, where, where people who have been bloodied and they're bruised and they're beaten and they're left for half dead and they're lonely, this is the place where they should come and be able to be healed. Ministry is messy, folks. It just is. But we don't always like it that way. We, we would rather sometimes for church to be a place where, you know, everybody's pleasant and we all dress up and, and you know, hey, how are you doing today? Oh, man, isn't it a great day? Oh, just love being at church. Wasn't the singing good today? Oh, that sermon. Mm, see you all next week. But what if, what if this church is like the end? So that sometimes when we come together and, and we go to each other and say, how are you doing? People can say, you know what, not real well. My family's going through a crisis. I'm dealing with depression. I'm dealing with some addiction. I'm going through some kind of pain in my life. I haven't slept in days. And I understand why we don't open up, because look, if every time someone asks, you know, we ask somebody, how are you doing? And then that's what, you know, it's like, whoa, 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 I was just trying to be nice, you know. I didn't really want to know how you're doing. And what do we sometimes do when we think about the messiness of people's lives? We too can be the Levite and the priest with our own brethren, and we too can just say, I would rather pass by on the other side. That's not what God called us to do. We need to pray for each other for healing. We are messy people. And even if we look at it and say, you know what, I don't always see myself as the Levite or the priest, I guarantee there's times that you have definitely seen yourself as the man who's laying beaten and alone on the road. That's why we need each other. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this day and we just thank you for your son that you have sent into the world to save us from ourselves. Father, we fail you in so many ways. Father, forgive us when we look at ourselves and thinking that we're good rather than seeing that your son is the one who's good. Father, we are so naturally prone to that at times. And Father, we thank you for the progress that we make and, and you bringing and building us up in, in the ways that you would have us to be. But Father, we still, we still fail. Father, thank you for stopping and taking us out of the ditch. Thank you, Father, for healing us of our sinfulness. And Father, may we turn and be your hands and your feet and your care towards others. 
May we more and more in our lives exemplify that of the Good Samaritan. We know it's difficult, Father, so we need your spirit. We need your spirit to help us and guide us and lead us along this path. Father, I pray for those who may be here this morning and they've got things in their own life that they're struggling with. Father, just be with them. May your great balm of Gilead come and heal their their wounds. Father, I pray for those who may be here and, and they just, they don't have you. They don't, they don't have this wonderful relationship, this dwelling that Eli mentioned earlier within them. And Father, I pray that they will see this Jesus, to see your son, and that they will come to him. Father, help us as People may ask us questions about you. And Father, may we have an answer. So Father, just be with us the rest of this day. We thank you for your love and your compassion and your patience and your mercy towards us. And it's all these things that we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, we... uh, we're going to have a, a five-minute countdown that's about to come up. And um, after that five-minute countdown, we'll have our adult class in here for those who can stay. And for the kids, you've got a class as well. You can go at ages five to fifth grade, and there'll be someone there in the back to meet you and to greet you. This time, let's all stand. Consider yourself dismissed.